The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by a guest speaker. The statements, views, and opinions presented in this message are those of the speaker and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online at wscal.edu or call 888-480-8474. That's online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. One of the joys that we have in Southern California, and especially in our area, is that we have a lot of healthy and vibrant churches where the pastors come and join us on Tuesdays to bring us God's word. We have such a privilege this morning as well. Pastor Josh Hani is the pastor of Redeemer PCA up in Newport Beach, where he's been pastoring since 2019. He's been in the PCA since 1998, being educated at Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia. Don't count that against him. But he came to California a couple years ago, having served for a number of years at King of Kings Church in Goodyear, Arizona, where he was not only involved in the church, but he was the church planter. And subsequently in the presbytery, he helped lead Southwest Church Planning Network. And I believe that during lunchtime today, all of you are invited for pizza lunch, but more importantly, conversation about church planning for those who are interested in our area or wherever you, you go. But more importantly, he's married to Melissa, has three children. I just found out his oldest is off to the Honors College at TCU, his alma mater, heading back, back to Texas uh, in terms of their home. Congratulations to the family and also two other children below them as they, uh, below her as they live in Newport Beach. We're delighted that you're here. Pastor Josh, please come and teach us this morning. What a pleasure to be with you. If you have a Bible, if you're following along, we'll be looking at Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20. It's a familiar passage. It's an important one in Matthew's gospel. This then, God's holy word. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. The word of the Lord. I don't know if you've read the First Things article by Aaron Wren. He insightfully says that we're living now in a negative world. The idea being that there was a time when being a Christian conveyed a positive value. Think of Christendom and its outcome so that someone would rather hire a Christian plumber, per se, than a non-Christian one, right? But with the increasing secularization of the West, we transitioned from that 
place where being a Christian was a positive value to that of it being a neutral value, neither preferential nor uh, negative. But, but what he says is that now we've entered into a negative world where there is a cost to being a Christian. And as a result of increased secularization, what we see now is that the nominal part of the church is quickly evaporating. It looks like all the time secularization is making inroads. Now, as I'm sure you know, the pollsters and the press have understood this idea and were being bombarded all the time with articles, with studies, that the church is on the precipice of decline and that the church is failing to reach the next generation and that things are altogether bleak, right? The solitary point I want to make today, in contrast, is that you have reason to be confident as you minister the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the reason is based on the promise that Jesus makes in the second part of verse 18. I will build my church. What I propose we do is we'll just race through this passage, and then we'll give a little bit of attention to that promise, and then we should finally ask historically what's happened as a result of this promise. And I hope that that's of real encouragement to you in your ministry. First then, racing through the passage, as you are aware, Jesus in Matthew chapter 16 has been going throughout the Galilean countryside, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God, and also performing miracles, healing, demonstrating the reality physically of what shalom will be like, what it will be like when God is fully and finally king, and all of our sin and sickness and sorrow and death are done away with. This has occasioned a great deal of controversy. People that have been critical of Jesus, people that are confused about who he is and what he's saying. And so at this critical moment in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus turns to his disciples and he asks that time-tested question, who do people say that I am? And we have an array of answers, many which are confused like answers nowadays might, nowadays might be that he is a, a prophet of some sort or a good moral and religious figure. But Peter, as you know, boldly professes his faith that you are the Messiah. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus, in response to his profession of faith, says a few fascinating things. The first, he, he says that Peter is fortunate. He's happy. He's blessed to understand the truth about Jesus. He also says that this faith, Peter didn't arrive at it by any human calculus. It's not the result of flesh and blood or of effort or intelligence. Instead, it's revealed to him by God, the Father in heaven. And then, as I'm sure you know, Jesus, with this catchy wordplay, says, you are Peter, which is rock, right? Name means rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. Certainly, he's not referring to another thing in their environment, like, you're a Peter, now over here on this rock, I'll build my church, right? He's talking to Peter. The question that comes up, and I'm sure you are well aware that a lot of ink has been spilt on this, is he's speaking to Peter as Peter's a person, or in his position, his apostolic capacity as one commissioned by Jesus to speak about the resurrection. To that, I say yes. He's certainly speaking to Peter as an individual, but 
what he says about Peter and the authority he entrusts to Peter is not unique or specific to him alone. In fact, in Matthew chapter 18, verse 18, he'll say the same thing about binding and loosing with keys to all of the apostles. The apostles, as well as the prophets, are the foundation for the New Testament church, Ephesians 2.20. Uh, but so it's not just to, you know, Peter uniquely, but Jesus makes a promise that involves Peter and will involve others, including his successors. He makes a promise, and that's the part that we want to focus on. The promise is that Jesus will build his church. Jesus is doing something. He's bringing about new humanity. Of course, you know the language of church is, is not specifically religious language. It's used of mobs and crowds and normal assemblies, but it is the language that's used in the Old Testament to speak about Israel's gathering. Jesus is saying, I will build my new people, my new Israel, my new humanity. And it's surprising how seamlessly Jesus can move from speaking about the church to in the next verse speaking about the kingdom of God. These two things are very closely related in his thinking. The church is the embodiment of the kingdom of God here in the world. It's the place where we see what it looks like when Jesus is king, when there's been a renovation in people's lives, and things are well ordered as God has intended that they be. Not only that, the church is the instrument of the kingdom of God. It's the way in which God is immediately, rather than immediately, impacting and moving forward in the world. And Jesus promises that what he has now begun, it will grow. It will be built. It will continue. Now, we shouldn't mistake Jesus' promise for thinking that this church building that I presume all of you want to be a part of, that that will be easy. In fact, just like Jesus' ministry, where there's a great deal of opposition, where there's slander, there's misunderstanding, Jesus assumes that the ministry of the church and the upbuilding of the church takes place in a hostile environment. Think about what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 about the, the setting in which church building takes place and, and takes place in this world which is now under the sway of the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's at work in the sons of disobedience. There's deadness, there are passions of the flesh in which people live. It's a difficult spot. Ephesians chapter 6, the apostle Paul goes on to say that we wrestle. Again, these are the terms here are of competition and, 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 and hardship. We wrestle. Right, with not just flesh and blood, but with rulers and authorities and cosmic powers, with present darkness, forces of evil. And so it is that Jesus explains the upbuilding of the church will take place even against the gates of hell. That is to say, the forward progress of the church will be such that it takes us to the final defensive structure of hell itself. This is a... Uh, an illustration of military defenses, right? To keep marauders out. You build gates, you build walls, and the church's upbuilding will mean that it clashes even with the powers of hell itself. So it, it won't be easy. But I think what Jesus says here, and I hope this is a, a major part of your internal narrative when you think about ministry, what Jesus says 
He promises you that victory is assured. The church will be victorious. The gates of hell will not withstand you. You will batter them. You will break them. Jesus will be victorious, and it will be evidenced in his people. Wow, right? You should have great confidence as you minister the gospel because of Jesus' promise. Don't listen to the press or the pollsters. The church is not in trouble. The church will be just fine. All right, quickly and finally, how is this promise held up historically? I'm sure you're aware in, in Acts chapter 5, Gamaliel, he, he made an interesting observation. The religious leaders in his day were thinking about opposing the church. And he said this, if this plan or undertaking is of man, it will fail. If it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. It seems to me like if Peter was right about Jesus, then Jesus can't be wrong. If Peter was wrong about Jesus, it's really hard to imagine that Jesus would be right. Don't you agree? So historically, what's happened? Well, just a few numbers. Currently, the number of people who claim to be Christians around the world has quadrupled in the last century. From 600 million in 1910 to more than 2.3 billion, now it's 3 billion, in 2011. Mark Knoll states that more than half of the Christian adherents in the whole history of the world have been alive in the last hundred years. That's amazing, isn't it? Close to half of the Christian believers who have ever lived are alive right now. Now, if you're thinking critically about that, you might say, yeah, but the, the world's population has grown so much. Not just how many Christians are alive, a better indicator would be what percentage of the world is currently Christian. At 100 AD, one 360th of the world population was estimated to be Christian. By 1000 AD, one 220th of the world's population was Christian. By 1500, one 69th of the world's population was Christian. By 1900, when the world's population was slightly over a billion, one twenty-seventh of the population professed Christ. By 1990, the percentage of Christians in the world was one-seventh. And now with eight billion people on the world, more than one-third of the world professes Christ. You know how many people become a Christian every day? Over 80,000. That's more people than live in Newport Beach, the city where I live. It's amazing, right? If we survey history accurately, I think it gives us even greater confidence in Jesus' promise. And the end result is that you right now should be ready to invest because you know what will happen. Victory is assured. 
Think about if you would have had the opportunity to, get, to go back and invest in, say, Tesla or Apple or Amazon. You'd do it, right? You'd know this is going to be a great deal. Just as one aside, the church annually, its revenues, the Christian church around the world, $545 billion. Do you know that's more internal revenue than is given to, or than Amazon, Apple, and Coke combined make in a year? You look at Tesla's revenues annually. The church brings that in in two weeks of collection. The church is winning. We have reason to be confident. We have a reason to invest. The church is a mighty locomotive. And the pennies and the tracks will in no way stand in our way. Um, I could go on. I think you probably need to get to class. I hope that we'll have a chance to talk about taking risks and church planting and how this confidence works its way out into ministry. Um, but let me pray for you. Oh, Lord Jesus, we pray that you would continue your work to fulfill your promise. Build your church. Bless your people. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I pray that you would do so even through my friends here, and that as we reflect and believe, reflect on and believe in your promise, that we would go about the ministry of the gospel with even greater confidence. Be pleased to do this for your glory, for we ask it in the name of Christ. Amen. Good to be with you guys. Copyright 2022, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.